everyone and a very warm welcome to morning worship at Hillhead. Our service this morning will be led by our minister Katrina. Elham will lead us in the Lord's Prayer in Farsi and our readers this morning are Lizzie, Petrie, Mary, Barbara and Ken. Our musicians are Paul and Yang Yang and in a moment or two Bonnie will be lighting our candle. This evening at 7pm there will be a special service for the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity which will be led by Canon Oliver Brewer-Lennon who is Vice Provost of St Mary's Episcopal Cathedral. So that's at 7pm this evening and the invitation for that Zoom service uh, was on yesterday's email. As you know, Katrina is holding a series of discussion groups for anyone interested in thinking more about baptism or covenanted membership of our church. If you would like to join that group, there's still time to let Katrina know, but please do that this week at the latest. Uh, just one piece of family news, it's Will's birthday today, so it's even more admirable than usual that he's got up to attend church at 6am just to be with us. So happy birthday, Will, and we hope you have a lovely day. Now it's time for Bonnie and her family to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
And as we worship, let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. ای پدر ما که در آسمانی نام تو مقدس باد ملکوت تو برقرار گردد اراده تو آنچنان که در آسمان ها جاری است در زمین نیز اجرا شود نان روزانه ما را امروز و هر روز به ما عطا فرما از قرض و گناه ما بگذر همانطور که ما از قرض و گناه دیگران میگذریم ما را در شریر میاورد بلکه از شریر محفوظ بدار که ملکوت و جلال تا عبد الاباد از آن توست آمین
Our first Bible reading of the day is from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the sight at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Our second reading is from Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12, 12 of them, whom he designated apostles, Simon, whom he called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. week we are looking at the theme of discipleship as we discover it in the gospel attributed to Luke. I want to start with a couple of questions. Do we choose to follow Jesus or does Jesus call us to follow him? Does Jesus issue an invitation or does he issue a command? One of the best love stories in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry is that time that he was walking along the beach. He saw some fishermen and he called 
or he commanded them to abandon everything and to go with him on an adventure. And it seems that without a second thought, they left behind the boats, they left behind all those fish they just caught, their families and the majority of their friends, and they went with him. We also know there were others who threw in their lot with Jesus, whose voices we never hear, whose stories are not recorded, and from whom, after much prayer and thought, Jesus chose 12 of them, whom he designated apostles, a word that means sent ones. And those are the people whose names are listed by the gospel writers. And well done, Lizzie, for getting your tongue around all those names this morning. I think it's important as we reflect on discipleship to note that some people do have really powerful stories of a significant encounter with Jesus. But also most probably, or at least many, won't. And I also think it's important to recognise there's a difference between knowing about Jesus, about believing in Jesus, and about becoming a disciple of Jesus. Lots of people know about Jesus. Quite a few people believe in Jesus. But being a disciple of Jesus, I think, is a bit more. Whether we've had a dramatic conversion experience or whether it's actually been a slow realisation that actually, do you know what, I've always somehow known this, or whether we've actually given it lots of very careful thought and reflection, I think there comes a moment when we can say, actually, this story is really significant for me and I'm going to accept or I'm going to reject what it means for my life. I have a feeling that whether we see this as a call or an invitation, a command or a choice, probably depends on our theological understanding about who Jesus is. For me, because I am at heart a general Baptist with an inclusive theology, I would see it as a choice. Others with slightly different understandings may see it differently. But if it's a choice, then what am I choosing? Process theologians sometimes refer to something they call the lure of divine love, a powerful and some would argue irresistible attraction towards God whom we meet in Jesus. There is something about this Jesus story, about this first century Jewish rabbi that is alluring and is attractive. It draws people of faith and people who do not have faith. Perhaps calling is more subtle than actually a command. Maybe it's more like a whisper. Maybe it's more like a song whose lyrics just kind of bubble up into our from our subconscious into our conscious. Maybe, and I have no personal experience to base this on, but maybe it's a bit like falling in love. And if that's the case, if it's like one of those things, then the choice can be subtle and slow, a realisation, a deepening sense of resonance, a slow transformation. 
I think based on my own experience and those of people who have shared their stories with me over many years, becoming a, a disciple of Jesus is both a call and a choice, that it is both an event, a time when we realise or decide, and an ongoing process. And that this continues all the way through our lives. It's not just a once and for all thing, but it's a continuing process. Whether Jesus actually calls us to be his disciples, whether we choose to be his disciples, or whether it's a bit of both, it's a bit like any other choice that we might make. It's a bit like deciding we want to learn to drive or how to play the piano or we want to study to do something. It's just a beginning. There's a lot of work that comes after it. And unless we do that work, that hard work, it remains just a good intention. I could want to be a decent pianist rather than a very bad get by him playing only pianist. But unless I put the work in, Nothing is going to happen. We're going to think a bit more about what some of that looks like as we go on this morning. But first, in our imagination, let's go back down to the beach where Jesus is waiting to meet us. Oh 
continuing on in Luke at chapter 9, verse 1. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, not money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the roads. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, Go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. to look at what happened between our first two readings where Jesus was calling and choosing his closest disciples and the two we have just heard where both a smaller and a larger group are sent out, we would discover a whole range of teaching and work-based learning that included key ethical principles of love, humility and forgiveness, all in a context of cross-cultural engagement that included a powerful Roman a devout Jewish official, a widow, a woman with a past, and people with chronic mental and physical health conditions, as well as child mortality. Next week, we're going to come back and have a look at some of that learning. But for now, we simply note what a challenging experience this would have been for those who were starting to learn what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. 
And after this initial training period, Jesus sends the 12 of them, the apostles, off on their first mission. The text suggests they may well have gone as a single group, able to support and encourage one another, to help each other out if that was needed. Now, in Matthew's parallel story, they're only sent to their own people, whereas Luke has Luke's gospel already shows them working cross-culturally. So there's no mention of just going to their own people, but it's quite possible that they started local with people like themselves. But where they went and whether they went out in 12, as a group of 12 or whether they went out in sub-teams isn't really important. The key thing is they went. They went as beginners, as those who were just learning what it meant to be part of Jesus' team. And there were no excuses. No one was allowed to stay at home because they didn't think they knew enough or because somebody else would be better at it or because they might make a mess of it. With just the most basic of training, they were expected to go out and have a go. Had we read a bit further in that chapter, we would have seen that when they came back and shared with Jesus all they'd done, the group then went to Bethsaida to spend a bit of time on their own reflecting. And then all too soon, the crowds closed in again and we get to the story that we know as the feeding of the 5,000. But they have had some learning, some experience and some reflection. And then we hear about a bit more focused learning and some precious time with Jesus. And more and more people are drawn into this exciting adventure. They, they see something's going on here and they want to be part of it. And out of this bigger group, Jesus chooses a larger number. Could have been 70, could have been 72. Depends which of the oldest scripts you look at. 70 would certainly be a parallel with the number of helpers that Moses chose, which is why Matthew probably opts for 70. 72 is one more than the number of members of the Sanhedrin. So you can kind of see why somebody might have gone with that one as well. But frankly, whether it was 70 or 72 is not the point. It was a big number of people that Jesus sent out in twos. But their commission was very similar to that of the 12. So already right early in the story, the next generation of disciples is being sent out to live what they've learned. And again, if we'd been able to read on further in that chapter, we'd have discovered they returned full of joy. They were excited at what was happening when they shared their stories with Jesus. I think here there is a pattern for our own discipleship. If we choose to become disciples of Jesus, he expects us to get out there and start putting into practice what we've learned. We can't just say, oh, I don't fancy that. That's not for me. I haven't been to theological college. I'm not a minister. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a this. Jesus says, go and try. Go and have a go. And then come back and tell me about it. So we see an emerging pattern of action and reflection that allows people to have a go, even if they're relatively inexperienced, and to work alongside more experienced people as they choose or continue to grow and develop. Perhaps it was a more experienced with a less experienced one. Perhaps there was some kind of mentoring going on. 
But perhaps this sending people out in twos is a really helpful reminder that we're meant to work together. Nobody is perfect. Nobody has all the gifts. And in Jesus' team, there's no place for those lone wolf, go it alone, my way or the highway people. Maybe there's somebody who's naturally a really good at intercessing, somebody who's, who's good at praying. Maybe there's somebody who's really good at, at mixing with people they don't know. Maybe there's somebody who's really good at telling the story. Maybe there's somebody who's really good at pastoral care. There is a mutuality, a recognition that we work together in this team. But there's also something that really struck me afresh as I read these two stories together this week, rather than just reading them on their own. And that is that each time Jesus says to his disciples, look, don't waste your time. If nothing's happening, if people won't engage with you, if they're not interested, move on. In their culture, shake the dust off your feet. And I think that is worth us just keeping at the back of our minds that not everything that we attempt for Jesus is going to work out. And that's okay. But that we should also think about where we spend our time and where we spend our energy. And I say that with no agenda. I don't have something in mind that we should or shouldn't be doing. I just see a principle in here that is useful for us to keep in mind. To be a disciple of Jesus is to accept the challenges he lays down and get involved in his mission. And that means hard work. It means dedication. It means learning and understanding his ethic of love, justice and wholeness for all people. It means getting involved. It also means knowing when to stop and when to walk away. It means working closely with other people, being accountable to each other. It ultimately means a lifetime of new challenges that Jesus calls us to complete.
continue our reading from Luke chapter 9. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, First, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35, the cost of being a disciple. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Would you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Or if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Would he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will not send a delegation while the other is still a long way off but ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear.
would be dishonest to look at what Luke has to tell us about discipleship without this important teaching about the cost of discipleship. Twice in Luke's gospel, Jesus tells us about the cost. The first one is recorded between the two accounts of the mission trips that we've already looked at. The the mission of the 12 and the mission of the 72 in between those is the first reminder about the cost of discipleship. And the second one comes further on in the story. I think we need to look at them quite closely because some of the language is very much tied up in the culture and um, metaphor of its time. Someone came to Jesus and said, I'll go with you wherever you go. That sounds pretty committed until Jesus basically says, you do realise that that means being rootless and potentially homeless, don't you? You do realise this isn't some exciting world tour. There's not going as a tourist. Actually, it's the beginning of a journey from which there is no return. And then Jesus saw somebody else and he said, well, do you want to come and join us? Or maybe he said, come and join us. And the reply that we have shows that they recognise Jesus as worthy of respect. But their reply essentially was, well, I will, but, but not yet. The phrase, let me first go and bury my father, didn't mean literally that this poor person had been recently bereaved. What they were actually saying is, at some point in the future, after my parents have lived a long death life and then died, then I'll come and do it. And then the third person said, yeah, I'll come. But I'm going to go. I'd like to go and say goodbye to my family first. And that seems really harsh then, doesn't it? When Jesus says, nope, yeah, I'm not going to get to go and say goodbye to your family. But again, it's a turn of phrase. He doesn't mean literally, no, you can't go and say goodbye to your family. What you're saying is, I want to go and put all my affairs in order first. And then when everything is sorted, then I'll come and follow you. And let's be under no illusion. These are huge demands that Jesus is expecting people to accept. Or at least be willing to accept. To go now not to wait until it's the right time, not to put all your affairs in order first, not to do whatever it is you want to do and and to recognise that you might be homeless and rootless and all these things. It's hard, but it gets even harder when we listen to the second passage. By now, lots and lots of people are, are really interested in Jesus. He's attracting a huge following but he knows or at least suspects that his time is running out and he needs people to understand what it is that they're getting involved with. It isn't the case that he wants people to hate their families or to hate their lives. He needs them to understand that potentially following him could cost them all of those things. And if they're not willing to accept that, then it's better that they don't even begin. So perhaps these aren't harsh words. Perhaps actually he's being hugely pastoral here. He's saying, 
actually, if you commit to follow me, it could cost you everything that you hold dear. And are you willing to do that? Is that a price you're willing to pay? Is that a risk you're willing to take? And then he talks about some everyday things. If you were going to buy a house, if you were going to build a tower, if you were going to go to war, you'd think it all through first. You wouldn't leap in to do these things and and then worry about it afterwards and perhaps, well, look really stupid if you had a half-built house, be really in an awful place if you went to war and lost and got captured. And he says the same thing to those who would follow him. I need you to think, to weigh this up carefully. Don't just dive in and regret it later. I can't read those words or think about those words without thinking of Lena's parents and aunt, people who were sent into internal exile because they chose to live as disciples of Jesus. And I can't read them without thinking of those in our church whose names I cannot name on something that will go onto the internet because it would be unsafe who have left behind their families and friends to come to this country because they are followers of Jesus. And I can't begin to respond unless I think about those who serve with BMS and other mission organisations in places like Afghanistan and Nepal, where it is impossible for them to speak openly of their faith. And if any of you happen to have seen the the World Blessing recording of um, the the hymn that's been on on the internet this week, there are blacked out faces of people from Afghanistan who've recorded themselves singing. That is the true cost for some people who follow Jesus. And I can't really, if I'm blatantly honest, talk about it without thinking what it cost me when I've chosen to follow Jesus where he's led me. It's been the adventure and it continues to be the adventure of a lifetime. But it has cost me. It's cost me in time and money. It's cost me friends. It's cost me relationships. It's cost me material things. But, and I can only speak for myself, there isn't something else that I would choose instead. Because actually, in my heart of hearts, to follow Jesus, to learn from him, to work with and for him, is the most wonderful, life-giving thing possible. And so where does that leave us as individuals? I wonder if there's been something in what we have heard this morning, not necessarily what I've spoken, maybe something in the scriptures, in the songs, in the reflective music that has just touched something within. And you'd just like to spend a minute or so with that. That's what I'm going to invite you to do. We're going to have a a minute of Zoom silence in which we are just invited to see if anything arises within us about what it might mean for us to be disciples of Jesus.
Jesus, you called all people to come with you and learn from you. Some said yes, and others were less sure, needing to work things out first. Jesus, you challenged people to take what they had learned and to live it out themselves. Sometimes this brought great joy, and other times they had to walk away from disappointment. Jesus, out of love for us, you call us to count the cost very carefully before committing to follow you. And yet we dare to believe that in so doing, we may yet find fullness of life. Jesus, as we decide our own next steps on the journey, we recall your promise to walk with us always. And in that we trust. Amen.
And so we bring our prayers for others. Let us pray. God of love, we bring our prayers to you this morning as a band of people who've made the decision to follow Jesus and to walk in his way, however stumbling at times. We confess that few of us stride out with a strong sense of where you're leading. Most of the time, most of us place our feet carefully, testing the ground to see if it will hold, but always secure in the knowledge that if we stumble, we will be supported and held by those who have chosen to travel this path with us. And so we pray first this morning for our closest companions on the way. For each one of us gathered this morning, and especially this week, for Adi, Moji, Esther and David, Elham, Ali, Benjamin and Bardia, Jennifer, Neil and Jensen, all of them immersed in the joys and challenges of family life. We pray too for Yang Yang, whose violin playing enhances our worship. And for Antoinette and Spencer in the Bahamas, Bayar and his family in Paris, Talash in Kenya, and Joy, our BMS mission partner in Nepal, as she trains primary teachers and supports children in schools around Nepal. We pray too for the Zoom technical team who make it possible for us to worship together each week, no matter where we are in the world. May each one of these, our friends, be encouraged in their discipleship. And we pray for all those other bands of disciples around Scotland who, like us, are trying to discern what following Jesus looks like in their situation. This week, we're asked to pray particularly for the Baptist churches at Alva, Ardbeg, and Aaron. When we visit these rural places, what usually strikes us is the beauty of the landscape. And it's tempting to think how lovely it might be to live amongst such beauty. But it's a beauty that often conceals deep-rooted poverty. We think of Alva at the foot of the Ochel Hills, surrounded by dramatic scenery, but one of the most deprived areas in Scotland. We think of our friends in Ardbeg on Butte and of the church in Brodick on Arran. Both island communities struggling to find alternatives to tourism to establish new sources of income to support islanders. We pray that each of these churches will find a way to offer practical support to people living with poverty so that every person, 
may have the chance to learn their true worth as your precious children. Finally, we pray for BMS World Mission. For those who have answered a call which has taken them far from the security of home and family, a costly discipleship. This week, BMS asks us to pray for all of their workers as they seek to protect the vulnerable communities they've chosen to accompany from the additional risks posed by the pandemic and from the all too evident effects of climate change. We pray for each one of them as they walk in step with the most marginalised people of our world. Give them courage and resilience in the face of so much suffering that they may be agents of transformation in the communities in which they are embedded. And so as they and we travel on, may the one who sent us continue to lead us and to fill us with love for the whole world. Amen. our closing words this morning come from the Iona community. From where we are to where you need us, Jesus, now lead on. From the familiarity of what we know to the wonder of what you will reveal, Jesus, now lead on. To transform the fabric of this world until it resembles the shape of your kingdom, Jesus, now lead on because good things have been prepared for those who love God. Jesus, now lead on. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and always. Amen.